Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Roto World Football Show. This is a very special Roto World Football Show because this is a fight pod between our former colleague John Daigle and our current colleague Pat Corain. Though I am a man of peace, I will judge these fighters as they go at it over some of the most polarizing players in fantasy football in 2022. We're going to start here with Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Sky Moore. Now, Crane has the pro argument on Moore, and then Daigle will get his chance to push back. Go, Crane. Sky Moore was an awesome prospect. He declared early, selected in the second round, which is a big deal because he was a non-Power 5 wide receiver. That's a rare profile. The last wide receiver from a non-Power 5 school to go in the first three rounds was Devontae Adams. Sky Moore was dominant in his final season. He had a 41% yardage share, a 45% touchdown share. He had a great career overall with a 33% career yardage share, which is an elite mark for a three-year wide receiver. He was efficient throughout his career with 2.92 yards per route run. Among three-year wide receivers drafted day one or two, since 2017, only Marquise Brown, A.J. Brown, T. Higgins, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, LaVisca Chenault, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddell have a higher career yards per route run. Moore is also versatile. He played just 16% of his snaps in the slot in 2019. That jumped to 89% in 2020, but in his breakout 2021, his slot snaps were down to 35%. He can play in the slot, but he's 5'10", 195. He can also play on the outside. Moore is also amazing after the catch. Only The only other day, one through two wide receivers to average one plus yards after catch per route in all three of their underclassmen seasons. CeeDee Lamb, T. Higgins, Jalen Waddell, Rashad Bateman, Rondale Moore, Anthony Swartz, and Rondale Robinson. And Moore's not like the gadget guys there. 18% of his yards after catch came behind the line of scrimmage, so not a ton. 47% came on targets 10-plus yards downfield. He can be used, and he was dominant in the intermediate areas of the field, which is an ideal fit for this Andy Reid offense because he can deliver yards after catch as well. His athleticism is quite good, 4-4-140, 125-inch broad jump. He also had the biggest hands in the rookie class at 10.25 inches. So any concerns about the size, I think, should be alleviated there. Obviously, as Patrick Mahomes, a depth chart that just got completely shaken up. He is going in the 8th to ninth round in fantasy draft, so he is somewhat expensive, but still a ton of upside for that price. It's a convincing argument. And right now, I, I don't know how you're going to push back, John, but uh, go, go for it. Tell me why you're skeptical of Sky Moore. 
you know it's truly a fight pod in unique format because we didn't even do the audio loop at the beginning. Like, we didn't even have a chance to warm up our voices or anything. <laughs> we got literally directly into the fight and just started going. Uh, good to be back and see y'all, by the way. I miss y'all a lot. Y'all know that. Uh, but for me, Skymore, the argument truly just comes down to I get to bet against a Mac wide receiver, a small school wide receiver who, in my opinion, needs more experience, as you said, in the eighth or ninth round at his ADP. Like, I know the argument. Like when B Rabbit at the end of Eight Mile mentioned that I actually like everything you said, I'm actually going to use it against you because I know what you're going to say. I know the power five early declare, but also in using that, everyone says it as if it's a sure thing, but we only have two samples. Like we have Cortland Sutton, Devontae Adams, that's it. So I get to say, okay, well, we have only another third player now, Sky Moore, who I can just bet against because if it doesn't happen, that wouldn't be shocking at all. There are only two samples. Also, as a small school wide receiver, I do wonder. And I think the experience is going to matter because remember, he came out, he's recruited as a cornerback and he wasn't even a high recruited cornerback. I think it was like number 19 in the nation, but only played 30 career games in small school college, right? In the Mac since he converted to wide receiver and he put up the amazing stats you mentioned. You also said though about having a shaken up depth chart. I call it a depth chart with competition. Like, I don't think he goes in, and this is why they're probably using him for carries, which again, carries are not good. Not everyone is Debo Samuel. They're not going to score a touchdown every nine and a half carries. That's absurd rate. So I think carries are actually a bad thing because that could also then just mean he's Rondell Moore, right? Uh, which profile-wise is amazing, but not the kind of usage we want whatsoever for our fantasy wide receivers. And so I think he is jammed immediately, and as a player who still needs to learn how to play in the NFL, I think he's jammed behind Juju Smith-Schuster, who everyone's down on, and I understand his ADP has also gotten expensive, but at least he's shown us a ceiling and has proven he's still a starting NFL wide receiver. Also, Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Sky Moore cannot do what Marcus Valdez-Scantling does. I wish, I know, I wish it happened more often for MBS downfield uh, and accruing 27% of his targets the last two years, 20 plus yards downfield. But overall, Sky Moore can't do that. And like you said, leading the nation in yards on slant routes last year in particular. So for me, it truly comes down to the ADP and in the eighth or ninth round, those Browns are still far too important for me to take a chance on a player like Sky Moore, thinking there's far more volatility to it than what I believe is ceiling is priced at right now. I will say that one factor that was not mentioned here, and I'm shocked, is that Sky Moore wears the number 24. Egregious. Which is hideous. Yes. It should be illegal for a wide receiver to wear I certainly was not going to bring that up in the pro <laughs> argument. <laughs> no, you can't. That's a huge knock. And, and also, he has struggled a little a little bit with injuries. He has a hamstring uh, and then a hip, although he did say he, he was fine. After that, I'm going to make my judgment call on Sky Moore here. Very convincing on both sides. I have to side with Daigle here because I just think Sky Moore's ADP is a little bit too high considering uh, the volatility of, of his you know potential rookie season here. You guys hate upside. I, I get it. Right. <laughs> and I, I do. I, I'm a longtime hater of upside. And and I, I just I just don't see him being able to like uh, give me I have no confidence in an eighth or ninth round Sky Moore so I'm I'm good with him tenth twelfth round something like that but where he's going now it's uh, it's too high. So- I actually forgot to mention as well that you know we look at production against bigger conferences too. That's the whole argument actually for small school. And it's that in his two games against the Big Ten, he never played the SEC, but he did play two games against the Big Ten even last year. And he had two for 20 against Michigan. In those comp- in those games, he totaled six catches for 63 yards. I thought you were worried about yards. small sample sizes. <laughs> that's, that's true too, yeah. <laughs>
All right, but I won round, the round, so round, <laughs> moving on. Round one goes to Daigle. Uh, we're going to go now to Zach Ertz, uh, a later round tight end who was quite good in 2021 after his trade to Arizona. Tell us about why you're looking forward to drafting him in every draft, Daigle. We know the usage for Ertz last year with and without Donadre Hopkins. So we know we're getting a top 10 tight end, top 12 tight end in those first six games without Hopkins. Last year, of course, when Hopkins was out, Ertz ran around on 89% of dropbacks and had a 23% target share, averaged nine targets per game. And then the seven games he played with Hopkins when he was traded to the Cardinals, a route on only 71% of the team's dropbacks, 14% target share, and decreased, literally chopped in half, four and a half targets per game. But also, if you look where Ertz is going, which is a full round ahead of literally the space we want to avoid mm -hmm. and the Pat Fryer moves, literally the touchdown or bust guys, I think Irv Smith shouldn't even be a tight end 12. Like, I question if these guys, Mike Jasicki, Hunter Henry, like, why are we chasing those guys when we know what Ertz has done for this team and the only player they added in Marquise Brown does not overlap in the slightest with Ertz. Like, I know Ertz is not explosive. He's a pontoon boat out there. Marquise Brown, though, is going to be going deep. Ertz will be falling forward, getting lots of targets underneath. I genuinely don't know. I'll let you make, the, I'll make this argument for you. I don't know what's gonna happen after six games, but I do know that this is the last tight end I want to grab, and there's no way in hell I'm grabbing the other players I mentioned, because if that's the case, then you just wait until the end, and you get David Njoku going later. You get Gerald Everett. So my argument is that the cliff falls off, and that's where the cliff is, and I think there's very much value there at his ADP. I know. It's strong. It's strong. I will say that he, he fits well in the uh, catch-it-and-fall-down sort of offense. He's very good you know, at that. Uh, the, the, the horizontal rate that the Cardinals operate. So, so Pat, why, why are you not drafting Zach? Yeah, if Cliff Kingsbury loving you is the, is the pro argument, it's not a great <laughs> pro argument. And I know for a fact what's going to happen after the first six weeks of this NFL season, the fantasy playoffs are going to be after that point of the season, which is where we actually need Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz, by the way, one of my highest-owned players last, last year, kind of reveled in that. It was kind of fun mm -hmm. because he was free. He is not free now. You talk about the cost of Sky Moore going in the ninth round. That's where Zach Ertz is going. He's going in the seventh in FFPC, in tight end premium format. You're going to have to take him over high upside running backs and best ball, high upside wide receivers in FFPC is going ahead of Drake London and Kadarius Toney. There's a lot of opportunity cost here. He had 1.47 yards per hour with the Cardinals last year. That's not bad, but it is a far cry from his elite 2017-2018 form. As you mentioned, Denny, still very much a catch-and-fall-down kind of guy. He's kind of like Mike Jasicki's efficiency, which if Jasicki was on the Cardinals, I think we'd probably be pretty excited. But Ertz turns 32 in November. The Cardinals also just drafted Trey McBride in the second round. For as excited as I am about Greg Dulcich, I had McBride as my tight end one after the draft with that second round draft capital. If McBride comes on at all close to the way Pat Fryermuth did last year, or even like Cole Komet did as a rookie, Ertz is going to be absolute dust in the weeks that you need him. I think he profiles as a small win, big miss. That is that is truly, truly convincing. I was, I was actually siding with Dale until those last few seconds there with Crane. I think that you, you have a point in saying that he got there on volume. And we don't know for sure that he's going to see that throughout the season, especially when you need him most. So I'm giving round two to Kareem. 
Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Round three is Daryl Henderson, who recently drew some praise from Sean McVay, who said he feels like he has, I believe, two starting running backs, which is a curious thing to say one summer after he said he cannot trust Daryl Henderson <laughs> with a full workload. So we, uh, we're confused about Sean McVay, but the, the, the pro-Henderson argument goes to Crane. Go. Yeah, I think this is a pretty simple one. Cam Akers, as we know, towards ACL, or towards, towards Achilles, excuse me, last July. Did not good, did not look good in his return in the playoffs. And this is an injury that has often taken running backs multiple seasons to really get all the way back from. We are hearing reports that we have split reps, two number one guys here. And yet Akers is going in the fourth round. Henderson goes in the double-digit rounds. Since last year, the Rams let Sonny Michelle walk. They drafted Kyron Williams, but he's dealing with a foot injury. Doesn't appear to be much of a factor. And the thing about Henderson is like, is he really splitting with Cam Akers? I don't know, but it doesn't matter at this ADP. He's going after Isaiah Spiller. He is a value as a pure contingency play. You're getting all of that upside that he actually has standalone value out of the gate completely for free. All right, Dago, why are you, why are you uh, leaving Henderson on the draft board? To be fair, even as someone who drafts Henderson in double-digit rounds, I think actually Akers has become the value because now he's been pushed down behind ETN. Brees Hall, offenses we really don't want to invest in, honestly, when the argument for what the Rams were last year makes the case for Cam Akers. Historically, just look at last year, actually. They played 12 games where their starting running back got injured. And in those games, 12 games without their starting running back getting injured. And in those games, the RB1 actually handled over 70% of the team's backfield touches. Sean McVay only wants to use one running back. He's tried to do this with Daryl Henderson, who's battled ankle injuries even last year all the way back to Memphis. So that's not going to happen. But also, in using one running back, we saw what Akers did. And to close his rookie year and those last seven games where he got the starting job, he handled 89% of backfield touches. He was a lone back earning targets. I imagine that's what they wanted to do initially. He came back, handled 65% of the team's backfield touches. But then, like you said, 2.6 yards per carry, multiple fumbles, not explosive. It's not his fault. He's not the one who said he's ready to go. The coaches brought him back and then had no choice but to use a committee. And so I don't want to use last year's stats when he did only handle 65% of the backfield touches in the playoffs because it just that to me doesn't matter and doesn't replicate what they're going to do with him as they did in the end of his rookie year. Remember also that 
for the Rams offense last year, 80% of their touchdowns came through the air. Uh, only 26 teams have done that in the last decade, and only two were able to replicate it in the past decade, too. So instead of Matthew Stafford throwing 13 of 19 touchdowns inside the five-yard line, like I expect there to be a regression for the rushing touchdowns. And, and Sean McVay using one running back historically, I expect that then regression to hit Cam Akers to fall forward for touchdowns instead. So Akers, to me, is a bet on... Big picture outlook for the offense regressing since these trends historically have not held up. And that's what I want to bet on. In the fourth or fifth round, again, I want to bet on the Rams offense over the Jets and Jaguars offenses, essentially. And I want to do it with Cam Akers since Sean McFay has used one running back. I want to make the same bet on the Rams, but I want to do it cheap. With a backup. All right. Well, I'm going to keep keep the, uh, the back and forth going here. I have to side with Daigle on Daryl Henderson because of Sean McVay's history of trying, at least hoping, trying to use, wanting to use one running back. I also believe that Akers will be better this year, fully recovered from the devastating injury he suffered last summer. There's a Freakonomics episode on what you hear last is what <laughs> sticks in your brain. And I wonder if that's how yeah. the judging system is going I, right now. I have another theory, but I'm gonna, <laughs> okay. I'm gonna propose a theory at the end. Okay. I have a pretty strong theory right now. I'm pretty sure my brain works exactly like that. So I think it works like Denny Carter. Congra yeah. Congratulations to whoever goes last in these, uh, <laughs> in these fights. So I, I am siding with Daigle on Daryl Henderson. All right, our fourth player here is Mike Evans. We are going to pitch it to Daigle, who has the pro Evans' argument for 2022? My argument is simply the case of Chris Godwin coming back slowly. Even in not starting on the pup list, even in practicing, although I question if he's actually going at full speed, I do fully expect them for the first six to eight games, the first two months, to bring him along as a part-time player. Hence the addition of Julio Jones, hence the addition of Russell, Russell Gage. But neither Gage or Jones scare me off of Evans if Godwin comes back slowly, because we saw what this team did in the playoffs. Everyone was scared to play him in these large FFPC playoff contests. Everyone was scared to play him at DFS because of his historical poor splits against shadow coverage, against man coverage. When for the first time ever last year in the postseason, they said, this doesn't matter. We're going to move you to the slot for 27% of routes, and we're going to jam you 10 targets per game because you're Mike freaking Evans. And that's how we're going to get you the ball every single time. So if Godwin comes along slowly, and then there's Russell Gage, who only popped when he had an opportunity without Calvin Ridley. That's why he averaged over eight targets per game. He was literally useless for fantasy outside of that week one regular season opener that everyone forgets, where literally Julio, Calvin, and Gage all went over 100 yards against the terrible Seahawks deep secondary. Other than that, though, you couldn't use him in fantasy literally until Ridley got out. And so that, not to mention Julio Jones, who, again, two starts without A.J. Brown last year, totaled two targets, a career low in yards per route run. These guys don't scare me off of what I believe Evans' usage will be. And now you also get him in the mid, the start or the mid-third round of FFPC leagues because of the Julio Jones edition. So that's why I'm higher on Evans than the rest of the tier around him. It is something. All right, Crane, tell us why you are fading like Evans at his current ADP. So... Mike Evans' ADP really throughout the summer has been kind of in the mid to late second. Even now, he's still going in the second round of best ball drafts. He's going at the 212. He was going at the uh, first round turn at 1.2, yes. Yeah, he did get a little a little up there, but he's fallen like slightly. But I think that he has not fallen enough given how much things have changed in terms of Godwin's outlook, which has been pretty positive. The, the chances of him missing a big chunk of the season have really decreased substantially. They also have signed Julio Jones. 
which I think hurts at least a little bit. And you're looking at an offense that, you know, Tom Brady, right, he got sacked 1.3 times per game last year. He got sacked seven times in two playoff games and retired. They now have their starting center out for the season. I think there's a little bit of risk here for the Buccaneers offense. I agree with you that Mike Evans in the playoffs was fantastic, almost like a Devontae Adams type of usage where he's just like before the snap, you know for a fact he's getting the target, and then he would. But before that, he posted a career-low yards per out run of 1.65. He really boosted, I think, our impression of him in the playoffs. But when everyone's back, I'm not sure he's anything close to a wide receiver one. I think Chris Godwin's probably the wide receiver one. Mike Evans turns 29 later this month. Big wide receivers don't always age well. And again, if we're looking at any of these tournaments, best ball, the main event, home leagues, the playoffs are what really matter. So to have a wide receiver two in his own offense that you have to take at the end of the second round, there's a ton of opportunity costs. Guys like Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel, T. Higgins, A.J. Brown are all going there. Much more dynamic players. And Evans doesn't even have the chance to dominate targets the way that Michael Pittman and D.J. Moore do in the fantasy playoffs. So at this ADP, I think it's still a pass. As the as the ref for this fight pod, I have to say I was I was very much swayed by the recency bias argument that you know last time we saw Evans in the postseason, uh, he what he was dominating targets. It, it it made us forget that things were a little bit rough in midseason and l- later into the season when they had uh, when the Bucks had Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin healthy and Rob Gronkowski of course. So. I, yeah, could Mike Evans run hot uh, with touchdowns again, like he has for, for two years with Tom Brady? Yes, but I'm going to do that thing where the last person who argues wins, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's Crane for the victory. I would also like to point out at this point that you have decided against every player. So you are not drafting anyone in fantasy leagues. I, I, I draft all my players after the 10th round. <laughs> That's, uh, that's, that's what it At does. some point, though, like we do have to admit, like scoring touchdowns is a skill. Like everyone keeps citing this for it Adam is. Thielen, who's now I understand basically a tight end playing wide receiver. But like you don't you don't score years. like 16 touchdowns on 21 targets inside the 10 over the course of two years because like you're not good at it, right? Like, By accident. Evans is Evans is awesome. This is what he does. He scores touchdowns. I don't think there's anything wrong with chasing someone who has that profile, unless it's DK Metcalf for the 2022 Seahawks. Don't chase that. He does, and and as someone, uh, Pat Doherty and I sat across from Mike Evans at a bar at the Super Bowl. Intimidating, uh, and and very intimidating. Yeah. But I have to say, you know, I could just I could smell the touchdown production coming off of him. So we have to adjust the ranks for that. All right, uh, a final player is uh, Mike Evans' teammate, rookie Rashad White. So we have Karain with the the pro Rashad White argument. Those of you who listen to the pod won't be. Shocked by that. So tell us why you are hammering White late in drafts. So Rashad White is a really dynamic receiving prospect. He had a career yards per hour in college of 2.61, one of only seven running backs with a career yards per hour of 2.3 or better, those being Christian McCaffrey, Kenyon Drake, Alvin Kamara, Kenny Gainwell, Joe Mixon, and David Johnson. He's six foot 214. He ran a 4.4840, 125-inch broad jump, 38-inch vertical. He's athletic. He's big enough to be, to have the upside to become a 1A type of back. Aaron Jones, DeAndre Swift, that type of guy. He's not like a satellite scat back type. The thing that I hear about Rashad White as a negative is, okay, but he's not playing on third downs as a rookie. I agree. I do not think he will play on third downs as a rookie. That's going to be Leonard Fournette's role. That is totally fine. Tom Brady throws to his running backs 
on all downs. Tom Brady throws to any running back who is on the field. He threw to Ronald Jones 42 times in 14 games in 2020. Ronald Jones had two less targets than Antonio Gibson did as a rookie. Two less than Melvin Gordon did in 15 games in 2020. He had one less target than James Conner. Ronald Jones had 11 more targets than Derrick Henry, who played all 16 games in 2020. For White to return value in the 9th to 11th round, you do not need him to play on third downs. You don't even need a Leonard Fournette injury. You just need him to play some because he's going to get targets when he's out there, and he has this very dynamic receiving ability. If Fournette misses any time at all, I'm talking like one to three weeks, Rashad White is going to be one of the easiest guys in the entire league to plug into your starting lineup to be an absolute weak winner. Against the Eagles in the playoffs when Leonard Fournette was out, Giovanni Bernard and Keyshawn Vaughn combined for 38 and a half expected points. In one game, they had almost 40 expected points put together. This backfield has a ton of value. White should provide some standalone value, but he also has a Tony Pollard level of contingency value. Man, good luck. Good luck, Daigle. Tell, tell, us, tell us why you, you, you have no interest in Rashad White. I've heard the argument for Rashad White perhaps having standalone value or even contingency value. I think first off, you have to remember that Gio Bernard and Keyshawn Vaughn in that playoff game against the Eagles literally played 51 and 49% of the snaps, like they split it. So there's no guarantee, first of all, that it would be just Rashad White. It could be White and Keyshawn Vaughn, and then there's no guarantee that both of them get there. It could be one, could be none. So I don't like the, the contingency value argument at this current ADP. But then also remember, yes, Ronald Jones, 42 targets, but Ronald Jones only got there in games where Leonard Fournette was playing because he scored touchdowns. And in particular, all four of his touchdowns last year came inside the 10-yard line. Rashad White's not going to get that role at all. That's Leonard Fournette. And then also this team had to lean on Fournette, basically eliminate Ronald Jones from the offense altogether in those last five games prior to when he got injured. That's when he averaged 20 touches per game, uh, seven and a half targets as well. And then we know the Dane Brugler argument because he's much better at these things than I am, saying that actually like Rashad White's weakness is pass pro. Uh, so I don't know, not just third down, but like, I don't know when he gets in there, given that receiving, like earning these targets, like that's where Leonard Fournette has developed his trust with Tom Brady. And it's proven that like, he's amazing when he gets these targets. Like White is not a better receiver than Leonard Fournette. And so I, I don't genuinely see the contingency value or how he delivers any value as long as Fournette's healthy. And we know what happens when, especially a rookie running back misses a blitz pickup uh, with Tom Brady behind him. Uh, he is placed on the moon for the rest of the season and uh, had never sees the field again. Saying that, I, I'm giving this round to Crane. I, I think I two think years in a row, unbelievable. I think I think that there that this is that was a that was a convincing argument, and I'm not a guy who's been ha hammering Rashad White in drafts. I've been drafting anyone. That, I, <laughs> I finally convinced any to draft someone. I fade everybody except for Rashad White. I, I look the the connection obviously between Brady and Fournette. Is is big. It's very important. It's hard to um, hard to really you know grasp in you know a numerical sense. But but we know Tom Brady likes one thing, and that's to win. And I think Rashad White, if he sneaks in there and gets a, a one start, two starts, maybe a couple. If if Fournette is out, it's over. It's over for Fournette. I think White takes over that backfield. I'm giving it to Crane. Crane's a champion. I even requested a retrial this year. We got the ship chasing judges kicked off to make it fair, and I still lost. Sir, it was a good job. Good fight, guys. 
All right. Well, that, that'll do it for the Roto World Football I'm Podcast, ready. the Fight Podcast. It went well. Thank you for not actually exchanging blows. We didn't have to physically fight. No, I, it's nice. it's okay. I appreciate that. That'll happen later uh, at the hotel bar. So uh, thank you to John Daigle. Thank you to Patrick Crane. I'm Denny Carter. We will talk to you soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.